0: right now on Matter of Fact. A century ago, victory gardens sprouted on rooftops, fire escapes in backyards and empty lots to feed a nation at war. Now, urban farmers are rising up in the battle against food insecurity.
1: When you take a group of elementary students in this country and you ask them to close their eyes and visualize what a farmer is, it doesn't look like me. <laughs>
0: a look at the roots of the movement to feed our communities. Plus. What if everyone in America got a monthly check to help make ends meet?
2: We know Nixon floated it, Mark Zuckerberg at one point, Andrew Yang most recently.
0: Soledad talks to the author of Give People Money, about what happens when governments do just that. And the rainbow flag is flying high for Pride Month.
3: It started with something that I'm making with my hands and (laughs) sewing it, and it's beautiful, but it became a phenomenon that that the world um, embraced
0: how this colorful banner became a global symbol of inclusion.
2: I'm Soledad O'Brien, welcome to Matter of Fact. BY PRESIDENTIAL PROCLAMATION, JUNE IS PRIDE MONTH. AND THIS YEAR, MARCHES, PARADES AND PARTIES ARE BACK WITH SOME COVID PRECAUTIONS. CELEBRATIONS ASIDE, THE COMMUNITY IS STILL FIGHTING FOR LEGAL PROTECTIONS. IN FEBRUARY, THE HOUSE PASSED THE EQUALITY ACT. IT PREVENTS DISCRIMINATION BASED ON SEXUAL ORIENTATION AND GENDER IDENTITY. BUT IT DOESN'T YET HAVE ENOUGH SUPPORT TO PASS THE SENATE add to that, a recent study found discrimination harms LGBTQ people of color much more severely than their white peers. They experience poor mental and physical health and greater economic insecurity. The National LGBTQ Task Force participated in that study. Joining me now are the Executive Director, Kiara Johnson, and Deputy Executive Director, Mayra Hidalgo Salazar. Chiara Johnson and uh, Myra Hidalgo Salazar, nice to see you both. Thank you for talking with me. Let's first and foremost talk about the Equality Act, which would update the 1964 Civil Rights Act. What's happening with that bill right now? So, right now in 29 states, it is still legal to
4: discriminate against LGBTQ people who are seeking housing, employment, public spaces, and existing in many other areas of life. LGBTQ people of color are more likely than white LGBTQ people to live in states without protections against discrimination and states with anti LGBTQ laws that harm us. And this is why we need the Equality Act.
2: Give people a sense, and maybe Kara, I'll start with you of what the impact of anti-discrimination legislation is on the community.
5: There are over 300 anti-LGBTQ bills that have been introduced across the country. Um, And that has meant everything from increased percentages of people who are attempting and committing suicide um, to depression, right, and and, um, homelessness for our young people. Um, We are seeing uh, the highest number of murders of trans women than any other year before it. And we are only halfway through the year. is, is that while we do have some protections in some t- in some states, we literally have a patchwork of policies and protections, and we don't live our lives in a patchwork. And so we need those federal protections to
4: um, to honor our human rights. And I will also add here, um, just as a person who is directly impacted, um, I uh, am an immigrant. Um, I was undocumented for over 20 years in this country. Um, And I am eligible to apply for citizenship this year. And even now in my search for my first ever home purchase, I can be denied a mortgage loan both because of my last name due to xenophobia or because I have a partner. Um, And the Equality Act is about protecting LGBTQ people in the U.S. from this kind of discrimination.
2: Explain to me the the intersection um, between, I guess, the LGBTQ community and the people who are fighting for immigration rights, is that relatively new? I will say
4: that um, it's an invisibilized story, but undocumented youth organizing has been spearheaded by undocumented queer women um, since the beginning. So this has never been um, a siloed issue because we do not live um, single-identity lives. Maida, like you were saying, it's not
5: a, a new narrative, right, or a new norm. It is relatively
2: new for national organizations to be doing work at the intersections. There is a new report uh, that's been authored by the What We Know Project, which is out of Cornell University. And uh, that report, along with many other things, finds that discrimination uh, profoundly inflicts greater harm on LGBTQ people of color Across a wide range of areas. We talk a lot about the importance of data. And there's even less information
5: about LGBTQ people, right? And and in policy impacts, cultural impacts as it relates to race. So five years from now, right, we can look back and say, based on the data that we looked at in 2021, have have we improved? Are we are we doing better or not? right? What are the interventions that we took? What is working and what is not? So being able to acknowledge it and name it and have a benchmark um, allows us to create real solutions that then we can measure ourselves by.
2: Kira Johnson and uh, Mayra Hidalgo Salazar, uh, thank you both for joining me. I appreciate it. Thank you. Right now on MatterOfFact.tv, the story of disability advocate Lydia XZ Brown, who identifies as a gay, disabled, East Asian person with a message about equity. It's part of our Matter of Fact listening tour to be an American. Identity, race, and justice.
0: Next on Matter of Fact.
1: There aren't many farms that can say that their lettuce is being harvested within a bike ride of where like 95% of their customers live
0: how this woman is changing the face of farming for a whole new generation. And later, are flying taxis ready for liftoff? When and where you could take your first ride.
2: Welcome back to Matter of Fact. Need a banana? Running out of milk? Well, just make a quick trip to the grocery, right? Well, what if that quick trip means traveling more than 10 miles? That's the challenge that 23 million Americans face living in places that are known as food deserts. These are areas where finding fresh fruits and vegetables and healthy, affordable food options is tough. An example, the nation's capital, where 11% of the city is considered a food desert. But community organizers are trying to change that by growing the urban farm movement.
1: When you take a group of elementary students in this country and you ask them to close their eyes and visualize what a farmer is, it doesn't look like me. <laughs> and so Gail Taylor went on a mission to change that
2: perception creating this space, the three-part Harmony Farm, right in the heart of Washington, D.C. We are basically like a greens and roots and herbs and flower farm. Here, Gail, her partners John and Christina, along with trainees and volunteers, work six days a week to cultivate the land, then distribute the produce to a local community-supported agriculture program, or CSA.
1: Our CSA is different because it's urban, so there aren't many farms that can say that their lettuce is being harvested within a bike ride of where, like, 95 percent of their customers live. Gail
2: says it's also different because it partners with other farms to bring its members a wider range of
1: products. Those farms are carefully chosen. None of the contributing farms to our CSA are owned by majority cisgender white men. One of the things that's hard for farmers of color is to have, well, access to land is a huge thing, but access to markets is a really big thing.
2: It hasn't been easy. Gail's quest began in 2011. A trained farmer and former policy advocate, she found this plot of land.
1: It's a two-acre parcel of land that's been owned for over 100 years by an order of priests, the Missionary Oblates of Mary Immaculate. Um, and I approached them about uh, starting a vegetable farm on their property.
0: And we'll start with Miss Taylor.
1: We all have a role to play in order to increase residents' consumption of healthy food and implement positive economic and environmental changes in the city. Together
2: with church representatives, law students, and a local council member, she drafted a bill that encouraged people to lease their land to farmers in exchange for tax benefits. The legislation, now known as the D.C. Farm Bill, passed in 2014, and the three-part Harmony Farm was born. Although farming in the city hasn't
1: been without challenges, including a lack of space. Sometimes there's overflow. You know, my living room has had 1,000 pounds of potatoes in it at some point this year. Like, all the winter squash that we've had, I get 300 pieces every week. So 250 of them end up in my living room. (laughs) To keep the quality
2: on point, the vegetables are distributed on the same day they're harvested, which means Gail and her team have to work quickly. The tables are laid out and the members have started arriving. Some are here purely for the vegetables. They had convinced me to, to try
1: these radishes and given me a really easy way to like cook it. Others with a deeper purpose. Black women farmers are a dying population. Um, having land that you can actually grow on in the black community is now what down to less than 2 percent in the nation. Um, So for all the reasons, it's important.
2: As the market wraps up, the day winds down. It's It's been 13 hours of nonstop work for Gail and the team, but one with a simple reward.
1: My dream is for myself and my staff just to wake up and to be able to do this and only this, to, to grow food for people we care about, to nourish our neighbors and have that be enough.
0: Coming up on Matter of Fact, a check for everyone, every month.
1: The best things that the government can do is just get cash into
6: people's pockets.
0: A look at what really happens when the government just cuts you a check.
3: And later, a global symbol of inclusion born on a sewing machine. I thought a flag is very useful as a symbol in terms of it proclaims power, it says something.
0: The story of the flag's creator, a man who called himself the Gay Betsy Ross.
2: COVID-19, millions of Americans were living paycheck to paycheck. According to the Federal Reserve, 40 percent were unable to cover an unexpected expense of $400. The pandemic made that worse as millions of people lost their jobs. With stimulus checks and extended unemployment benefits expiring, Advocates are pushing for some kind of federal guaranteed income. Now, recently, Stockton, California, issued a report on their own two-year experiment. 125 residents receive monthly payments of $500. They say the money helped participants find jobs, meet basic needs, and deal with emergencies. Annie Lowry is a staff writer at The Atlantic and author of the book, Give People Money. Here's our conversation on the impact of guaranteed income. Ms. Lowry, thank you for talking with me. So um, universal basic income, I'm curious, what are the basic arguments for and against? So I think that the, the basic
6: argument for is one of simplicity and immediacy. Um, this is a really easy proposal uh, for the government to enact, unlike something like you know, the Obama insurance exchanges, which are really complicated. And, you know, the kind of argument against is that this is a really expensive thing to do, depending on the scale that that you're doing it on. Um, it's also not targeted in some cases towards lower income people. Uh, so, you know, ideally in government benefit programs, you want the most money to go into the families who need it the most. So the idea with a basic income is that you are giving people enough money to kind of keep their heads above water, um, to help them through sort of a sudden calamity in their life. But you don't want to give people so much money that, that you utterly reduce the incentive to work. And so um, $1,000, that's roughly what, uh, folks in Alaska get from the Alaska Permanent Fund, uh, which it basically sends out money from the state's pot of oil revenue to Alaskans every year. And it's been shown to have a pretty powerful anti-poverty effect uh, without changing
2: people's work lives too, too much. And do you see that then getting rid of some other things like SNAP or free college or um, Medicare for all or mm-hmm. child care grants? Would that sort of be rolled in together or Or would that just have another—you know, be another sort of layer on top of those programs? Some people talk about it as
6: being kind of Social Security for all, but what's really important is if we're sending everybody just $1,000 a month, even though that's a huge amount of money, that's actually a pretty significant cut in benefits. Uh, for lower-income and middle-income families, if it's literally replacing everything, which is kind of the libertarian argument, giving families $1,000 a month is not going to make insurance affordable for them. This is not a magic bullet. It is not the only policy. You need other, other supportive policies to go with it. Absolutely.
2: You've looked at uh, experiments, I guess I'd call them, uh, around the globe. What did you learn from what you saw?
6: I think one of the really big takeaways is that cash is efficient and effective. It doesn't increase things like vice spending. So people don't spend more money on things like lottery tickets or alcohol or drugs. There's always these great concerns that people will stop working if they start getting money like this, or that they'll just waste the money. And we know from dozens and dozens of studies uh, in countries around the world that that's not true. You can really trust people when you give them cash like this, even when it comes with no strings attached. ANNIE LOWRY, writes for The Atlantic, thank you for talking with me. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Ahead
3: on Matter of Fact. Rainbow flags are flying for Pride Month. Even though we're not a country and a nation, we're kind of a people.
0: The inspiration behind the symbol flown
3: round the world. To stay
0: up to date with Matter of Fact, sign up for our newsletter at matteroffact.tv.
2: Flag poles all over the world and on walls and bumper stickers and on people. We're talking about the rainbow flag, the global LGBTQ symbol of pride. But have you ever wondered how this flag came to be? Well, the story starts in the late 1970s when Harvey Milk, California's first openly gay elected official, asked an artist friend, Gilbert Baker, to come up with a positive, inclusive symbol for the community. Baker decided... On a flag.
3: Even though we're not a country and a nation, we're kind of a people and I thought a flag is very useful as a symbol in terms of it proclaims power, it says something.
2: Baker's original design had eight colors including hot pink and turquoise which were later dropped. The strips were hand dyed and sewn creating two enormous flags which debuted at San Francisco's 1978 Gay Freedom Day Parade. Four years later when san francisco hosted the first gay games gilbert baker was asked to decorate the main stage introducing the rainbow flag to athletes from around the world then in the mid-80s interpride the lgbtq international community organization voted to make the flag its official symbol by
3: 1994 Uh, when I made the mile-long flag for Stonewall 25 in New York City, it was around the world. Yeah, it started with something that I'm making with my hands and (laughs) sewing it, and it's beautiful, but it became a phenomenon that that the world um, embraced.
2: You can still get a glimpse of Baker's original handiwork. A remnant of one of his first flags is on display at San Francisco's GLBT Historical Society.
0: Next on Matter of Fact, Our first look at a flying taxi cab. How this mini copter could change the way we get around town.
2: while Olympic hopefuls are going for the gold next month in Tokyo, Paris is already prepping for the 2024 Olympic Games. French officials are enlisting the help of a German company for a flying taxi cab. It's called the Volocopter, and it looks like a mini helicopter. During its first test flight, the Volocopter flew for less than a mile at about 18 miles an hour. Good start, But creators want it to fly faster, go farther. The goal is to be up and flying for the Paris Olympics, getting people from city to city where different events will be held. It can seat two people on board, has space for luggage, but you just can't stand outside and hail. This air taxi, it works more like an Uber or a Lyft, so you have to book your flight on an app. That's it for this edition A Matter of Fact. I'm Soledad O'Brien, and we'll see you back here next week.
0: If you missed our top stories about the LGBTQ community's fight for anti-discrimination laws, the growth of urban farming and food deserts, our conversation about universal basic income, and a look at how the rainbow flag became a global symbol of inclusion, just go to matteroffact.tv. And listen to Matter of Fact with Soledad O'Brien on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast provider. Watch us during the week on FYI and Pluto.